Hey everyone, I'm Justin Dean. I'm the recovery director here at the River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97000, or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, my name is Patrick Bicknell. I am so excited and honored to have this opportunity to open up the Word of God with you guys this morning and to, to preach this message. Thank you. Yep, so I am the student director here at the River Church and just wanted to fill you guys in on some of the things that are happening here. It is such an exciting time of year. We love to get the school year kicked off, getting growth communities going, and it has been just such a blessing this year within the student growth communities. We have so many new students that are coming. We have a ton of new leaders this year that are eager and want to just share the word with students, and it has been such a blessing to me, really, to see them do that and to to be hanging out with them outside of, of groups and outside of church and just building those relationships. It's just such an amazing thing. I want to ask you guys, just if you could be praying for our group this year, that lives would continue to be changed by the gospel, that students' lives would be changed, that they would grow deeper in their walk with the Lord, and just uh, asking the church to come around and pray for us, because it's just some amazing things happening there uh, in, in the group, so... Uh, Today, we are continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. So we will be in Matthew chapter 5. If you got your Bible uh, or want to open up your phone or whatever, you want to follow along with me, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Again, this is Jesus continuing his Sermon on the Mount as he says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, one of my favorite movie series and books is The Lord of the Rings. I absolutely love this series. I remember last time I was here uh, preaching, I told you how I was a fanatic for World War II, and now I want to tell you I I am a big fan of Lord of the Rings, and what is so unique about these movies and these books is that they have a lot of Christian uh, themes and tones to it. So the author, J.R.R. Tolkien, was a Christian, and so in many of his writings as he was uh, doing the plot, dialogue, storyline, themes, he included a lot of these Christian themes within it, and the Lord of the Rings is is no stranger to that. And so here I'm going to very briefly go over the story. I'm not going to bore you guys too much, you know, but just very briefly about the, the Lord of the Rings story. So essentially what is happening is that there is this powerful ring, this power that can take over the world. And so the forces of darkness want to get this ring so that they can control the world. And so what needs to happen is these people need to get together and they need to figure out how they are going to destroy this ring so that evil doesn't win. And so what happens is they get this council of people together, they get some different races, you know, the strongest, 
mightiest people in the world at that time. And so here you have, you have some people like the elves. So they got the elves together, and the elves would be that representation of like wisdom, this, this greater power. It's, it's that picture of, of wise people who would know what to do. And so you know, you'd look at them and be like, That's, that'd be a good people to maybe go and destroy this ring. And then you got the dwarves who would be that, that symbol and picture of strength. You know, they're battle-hardened. They're, they're, they'd be capable to do it. You know, they, they'd probably be some good people. And then you got the men who would be that, that picture of courage and honor, that they would do whatever it takes to make sure evil doesn't win, that good would prevail. But what happens in this story is they don't choose any of those people. They choose a couple lowly, small hobbits. They're not wise, they're not very strong, they're not, they're not very big, and so on paper you look at it and you'd be like, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? And this is kind of what Jesus does here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's continuing speaking to his followers when he says, you are the light of the world. You see, Jesus doesn't go to the Pharisees of the time, and the Pharisees would have been that, you know, the, the religious leaders ruling the temple, they're the ones that would have all the wisdom of the scriptures. And if so if you were looking at it and you needed someone to go and take your message to the world, they would be good candidates. They know the word of God. They have the resources, they have the temple. They're these wise people. Jesus didn't go to the Sadducees. There's another religious sect of people who would also be some, some good candidates, right? They have the zeal, the passion to go and, and to take the word of God into the, to the world. They might be some good people. And, and, and Jesus didn't even go to the Roman citizens, these higher ups. You know, they're, you think of the noble, wealthy class. Jesus didn't go to them. They'd be the ones that we would consider to have all the resources to be able to take that message out. Because how often do we think, right, if we just had a little bit more resources, income, connections, we would be a better light to the world. See, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't take the people who on paper would make sense to go out into the world. He chose to say it to the simple, common, people that were just following him. And think about how amazing it is that he says to them, the message of hope for the entire world, the message of salvation is with you and you alone. You and you alone are the light of the world. This is what Jesus is, and that's just so incredible to think about that he's not putting stipulations here about who can be the light of the world. He's not talking about people, you know, as long as you've been in church for 10 plus years and you go to a Sunday gathering every week and you attend a growth community, then you can be the light of the world, right? He's not talking about people on staff, you know, you have to be a pastor or, or hired by the church, then you can be the light of the world. He's saying to them and to us, you and you alone are the lights of the world if you would put your faith and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, See, transitioning here in the Sermon on the Mount, as, as Jason mentioned last week, Jesus is talking to followers of him, those who believe in him, right? He, he just finished talking about the Beatitudes, talking about attitudes in which people who follow Jesus, disciples of his, those that have their faith in Jesus, they would live these out. They would have these characteristics, He's saying those who are blessed, those who have surrendered to the truth of the gospel, this is who Jesus is talking to here. And as he's continuing this sermon, giving all this wisdom and guidance and truth, he starts to illustrate of how they are supposed to be in the world. He gives them some things that would stick to them, 
very practical ways of knowing who they are supposed to be when they go and live their lives. And what is so unique about what Jesus says here, when he says, you are, he's saying it in this mood or tone of, of it's like completed. Like this is something that has happened and is happening. He's saying, he's not asking the people, you know, would you, would you please, you know, be the lights of the world for me? Would you, would, you, would you go out into the world and be the lights of the world if you follow me? He's not giving a request. He's not giving them a question, asking if that's what they are. He's saying, if you follow me, you are the lights of the world. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what you will be in the world. And what's so cool here is that he, he shows that there are no halfway Christians. Kind of destroys that notion that Someone can just be a Christian on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights when we go to growth communities, but Monday morning when they're, they're at their job or they're with that group of friends or those family members, they're, they're just going to kind of hide away from the Christianity. I'm not going to show it too much. You know, I, I want to fit in. I want to seem cool. And, and oftentimes we think that's something that only applies to middle schoolers and high schoolers, but I think we all can, we all can agree, right? That's, that's us too, adults. We, we oftentimes want to fit in with the crowd, and so we kind of like, ah, I'll be the light of the world when I'm with my Christian friends, but, but maybe not with friends that aren't believers. He doesn't just say, too, when you, when you believe in him and you follow him to just kind of seclude yourself, right? Let's just get in our own holy huddles. We'll hang out with just Christians. We're not going to go and talk to those dirty sinners because that's not who we associate with. He tells them to go into the world, right? It's that idea of being in the world but not of the world. And obviously, there's, a, there's that distinction there where we're not just supposed to indulge in those sins, right? And be like, oh, I'm witnessing. I'm good. I'm with unbelievers. I'm, I'm just witnessing. I can do what I want, right? No, that, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you're supposed to go into the world, go to those who need the message, but you're still to be the light while you're there. He says, this is what you're going to be. You're going to be an example of who you are by being the lights of the world. So first, he told them, as we went through last week, that you are like the salt of the earth. He goes through and talks, Jason talked about last week how they have this preserving ability within them, that they would preserve this decaying world that as we as Christians are, are put where God has placed us, we will help the, the, help the people in the, in the sin and the culture here, that we would change how people live and that we would have this tastiness to us, that as Christians we would, we would attract others to the gospel that they would see us and go, you know, why do you have this hope? Why, why are you so joyful right now? It would be attractive to those people that want to follow Jesus. And then he goes on to say that we are the light. And so there are a couple of things that I think Jesus is uh, kind of hitting here, a couple aspects of light that we're going to go through and, and, and talk about a little bit. And so the first is in Matthew 5.14. Just rereading that, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we are the lights of the world in Christ. We are not to be hidden. Now, I can't have a Sermon on the Mount or a sermon talking about the Sermon of the Light of the World without mentioning the song, you know, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Now, I will spare you guys from having to listen to my singing voice the rest of the, the, rest of the message, right? I won't make any of you guys regret for coming here. But now, since it was in my head all week, it's going to be in your head, okay? That's what I had to do. But this is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us to be this. This is how we are supposed to live. 
The same songs we sing to kids in, in the nursery, we are supposed to be that, letting our light shine in the world. And I thought of this illustration of, of the lighthouse. You see, lighthouses weren't made for cool trips. They didn't just make lighthouses for, for fun things for Michiganders to do in the summer, right? People didn't get together and go, hmm, what, what, what would Michiganders like to do this year? Oh, how about travel around to the best lighthouses in, in Michigan? That's not what they did. There was a purpose for it. They made these lighthouses to save the ships that were coming into shore, to let them know where the rocky ground was as they were, as they were approaching, let them know where the shoreline was, and, and to lead them to safe passages so that the ships wouldn't hit rough ground and maybe sink and potentially have people die and wreck their ships. They were there to save lost ships and to show them where the safety was. And they were put in places to be visible. In the same way, we need to be visible for the lost souls. We need to be visible to the world to show them where the hope is. That way, when they, when they see us living and we're, we're in our communities, they need to see that, that we have a hope that is greater than anything in this world. That there's something different about us. And we don't hide from, from who we are and the faith that we have in Jesus, but we are very clearly seen and visible for the people of the world. As Christians, we need to be screaming in our conduct, going like, hey, I follow Christ. I want you to know that. I don't want to hide from it. I want you to know that I have put my faith in Jesus. And some of this comes with not being ashamed. Because oftentimes, and, and this convicts me so much, oftentimes I can let shame kind of get in the way of my life. When I should have shared the gospel with somebody, or I think of getting together with some of my old friends and, and just being afraid that I'm going to be made fun of. Oftentimes I do that, and, and we shouldn't be ashamed because we have the greatest thing that this world could ever have. We have the one hope that gives us eternal salvation. We shouldn't hide it. Or even think about uh, the Christian stereotypes. I know sometimes, too, we can, we can think, oh, I don't want to be lumped in with, with those Christians that are giving us a bad name. They're not following the word truly. They're, they're judgmental and hurtful to people. So because I don't want to be lumped in with them, I'm just not really going to let my Christianity show. You know, I, I talk about it with, with some of my friends who are believers, but I don't really want to be known as that guy or that girl. We are to be visible, not hidden. That comes with not being ashamed of who we are. Now, this doesn't mean, right, you go around yelling at everyone and telling them, like, hey, I'm a Christian, so don't you do that sin in front of me, just so you know I'm the light of the world. Don't you be doing that, right? Because I'm perfect and high and mighty, right? No. That's, that's not what Jesus is telling us, but he's telling us no matter where we are called, we are to live everywhere as the light of the world, not hiding that. And it kind of makes me think of the idea of a, a Christian shoemaker. It's a little illustration. When I was, had my first semester of college, my teacher asked us, what makes a Christian shoemaker Christian? And a couple of us had some answers. We're going at it, and he goes, a Christian shoemaker is not a Christian because he puts a cross on a shoe. It's because he makes a good shoe. He lives honorably. He lives what he believes, and he makes it noticeable to those who see him. That's how we are supposed to be. Our life is supposed to be clear that we have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are the lights to this world, and that we have the hope for them. But how can we know 
what this true light is and if we're truly following it, right? It's good to know that we should be visible, and it's good not to hide from that. But as we see in the world, there's a lot of people who are shining bright lights for things that aren't really representative of Jesus or the word of God. So how do we know what we're following is the truth? And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, I think we can see the answer here. This is the Apostle John writing. He says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You see, we cannot begin walking in the light by just walking in the light. We can't do it. We are in total and utter darkness. We don't know the right way to go. We, we don't know how to follow Jesus in our sin. Spiritually, we are dark. It's the same idea of we don't come to God by getting ourselves better. First, we need God to save us. In the same way, to get out of that darkness, it's not anything that you can do. Any good works you can do to lead you to the light, you need Jesus to come to you and pull you out of it. To be able to be the light of the world and be the light to others, we first need the one true light, which is Jesus. Jesus says in John eight twelve, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We need the one true light. We need Jesus in us. We need to put our faith and surrender to him as our Lord and Savior and have him come into our life before we can even be the lights to the world. Now, the second part of this is, this is a hard truth that a lot of us have to understand as Christians that being the light of the world is more than just saying we follow Jesus. It is more than just saying I'm a Christian, I'm the light of the world, I said a prayer one time in kids' church, I'm good. It's more than just saying that. If we are going to be true, visible lights, we first need to make sure we're right with God, and then we need to live it out. Right? John makes it so clear. He says, if we make a practice of walking in sin, we don't have fellowship with God. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect, right? Anybody here who has been a Christian for longer than two days knows you always sin, right? You're not perfect, but the difference is we don't make a practice out of that. We don't habitually sin or constantly go into these sins without conviction, without repentance, without the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and showing us where we are going wrong. Because if you, if you just live your life never convicted of sin or asking for forgiveness or even repenting and saying, I'm going to turn from the sin and turn to the Lord, if you live your life through that, it's a good indicator that maybe you're not a Christian Maybe you're not following the true light. Because if we are truly following Jesus, he not only gives us the light, pulls us out of darkness, gives us new life, he also empowers us to be able to walk in that light. Right? John said there, like, if we, if we make a practice out of, of walking in darkness, then we lie and deceive ourselves and we don't follow Jesus. In the same way, if we're following Jesus truly and the light's within us, we're not lying. We're practicing the truth. He will empower us to get, to get better and to follow him more. A quote that I read 
said this, and I think it sums up this idea very clearly by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, as those who have believed in the gospel, we have received light and knowledge and instruction. But in addition, it has become part of us. It has become our life so that we thus become reflectors of it. So the light doesn't just come into us and then Jesus just leaves us to be and to figure it out. He puts the light in us and then through us, he shines. He leads us to follow him. And if we truly have the light in us, we will be reflectors of that. And I have a question for you guys. I want you to think about this. How differently would someone live if they were once lame and could now walk? The next point to go here, looking at Matthew 5, 14 through 15, is verse 15. It says this, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We are the light of the world in Christ. We are to reveal something. So not only are we to be visible, right? we don't hide our light, we don't, we don't shy away from it or become ashamed of it, but with our light, there's a purpose for it. We are to reveal something. And when I was thinking about this light and revealing, I just thought of going with my dad to some side jobs he, was ha- he would have when I was younger. I had the very, very important job that he absolutely needed me to come there to get the job done. I was the kid that would hold the light for him as he did his job, right? He's not going to be able to do his job if he doesn't have the light. And so I was the most important one there, and I would shine it on him, make sure he would be able to get it done. And so sometimes I would, I would be there, and we'd, we'd be working for a few hours, and i had my light shining. i get bored, and I'd start to drift a little bit, and be thinking a little bit. He'd go, hey, what are you doing? I need that light. I need to be able to see what I'm working on. In the same way, that's how our light is supposed to be. We're not just supposed to shine and have no purpose for it. We're supposed to reveal something. Our light is not for no reason. There's a purpose to it. And I think in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we can see this a little bit. And what's really interesting about these verses, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, this is almost like a direct commentary to this section of the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost like the first commentary we get from Peter, who's taking Jesus' words and, and helping apply it to the lives of the people he was writing to and to our lives. It's just so cool and unique. But Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Understanding who we were, what we got brought out of and brought into will help us to understand what we are supposed to reveal. Who we were apart from Christ will help us to show what we are to shine. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 shows us this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were utterly dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually, we had no life. We were only deserving of condemnation and judgment. Dark, 
lost and hopeless. We could do nothing to save ourselves. We needed God to come to us, come to us in our darkness and pull us out of that. We needed Jesus to go to the cross and to be the one who would die for our sins. Now look at how Peter describes us here. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. These are remarkable truths for people who have rebelled against the almighty God. For people who have sinned against him, who have rejected him. As Romans 1 says, that we, we worship mortal man rather than the immortal God. We exchanged him and his glory for our own ways. Doing our own sin. Thus putting the punishment of our sin on our own heads. This is amazing to see this is what we are now. We are now God's chosen people. We once were enemies of God. Even while Jesus was dying on the cross. Romans 5.8 says... For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning against him, we could do nothing to earn that. And he said, I'm going to die for you. I love you so much. We had once not received mercy. And now we had through his gospel. Now we have been brought into this light. So we must shine. Peter says that you may proclaim. God has done this work in us. He has pulled us out of the darkness into the light so that we would proclaim his marvelous light. That as we're shining in this world, as we're being visible, we would have a purpose for what we are doing. That we would be revealing what has brought us out of this darkness, which is the gospel. The gospel being that Jesus came down to this earth, lived the perfect, sinless life on my behalf the life that I was supposed to live, the life that I didn't live. And then he goes to the cross, bearing all of our iniquities, taking all our sin upon himself, being beaten, scourged, mocked, taking the entire cup of God's divine wrath and drinking it himself and then breathing his last and dying and being buried. And he rose again three days later that whoever put their faith in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the truth that we need to proclaim. That if we put our faith in him, as he offers it to us freely, having our chains broken, our debt paid, we now tell the world we're followers of Christ and we proclaim that to everywhere that we go. Everyone that we see, we let them know the hope that is within us because we have the power unto salvation within the gospel. The next question I want to ask here is, how differently would someone live if they were once blind and could now see? The next section we're going to look at, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are the light of the world in Christ. We are to lead others to glorify God in our good works. We are to lead others not to look at us, not to look at our church, not to show them how good we are, but in our good works, we are meant to lead others to glorify God, 
to bring praise and glory to him. And I want to ask you guys, think about a time when someone was the light of Christ for you. Can you remember it? Remember when you, you needed something. You were asking God for hope and peace. And someone came alongside you and was that light for you. I can remember one time so clearly in my life. Uh, I, I've shared my testimony with some of you guys before. My students have heard it. Um, but I, I, I basically grew up here in the church. Uh, my parents were in the nursery when I was a baby. Went to Awana's and youth group. Jason was actually my, my youth pastor back in the day. And so I'd go to the all-nighters and camps with the church. But when I hit high school, I started going my own way. I started doing what I wanted to do. What a lot of typical high schoolers think, you know, I just want to have fun. I want to do what, what satisfies me. I want to go have fun. I don't care what it is. I just want to do what's on my mind. And at that time in my life, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. I knew he was there. I knew of Jesus. I just didn't want anything to do with him. I felt like he was holding me back from something. He was holding me back from having, having fun and, and being able to do things that I wanted to do. And that eventually led to just destruction in my life. Following my own sin. Just indulging in it and just got to a place where I honestly didn't feel loved by anyone, let alone God. And I remember just in the, the lowest point of my life, I remember just, just coming to God and asking him, you know, I don't deserve your love or forgiveness. You know, I don't even, I don't even deserve, if you, if you don't want to love me the rest of my life, you want to have anything to do with me, just forgive me. And he reminded me and showed me and forgave me and pulled me out of there. He continued to call me and draw me to himself. And so I remember going to my dad and asking him, you know, I, I think I need to get back in the church. I need to get my relationship with God right again. I, I, need, to do, I need to do something. And he's like, okay, no big deal. You, know, we can, you can come to me with Tuesday, to Tuesday night church. He was a, a table leader at the time, helping in, in one of the table groups after the gathering. And he said, you, you can come with me. And as I was walking into the church, the last thing I wanted to do was see anybody that I knew from before I came to church, let alone Jason. I did not want to see him, right? Not that I didn't like him. I was like, I just felt guilty and ashamed, and I did not want to come face-to-face with that that day. And so I remember walking in downstairs in that hallway heading to the gym. I'm kind of like, see you over there. Okay, I can, I can speed up a little bit, right? I, I just did not want to see him. And then he saw me. Now, Jason very easily could have been like, man, this kid didn't listen to anything I told him back when he was in youth group. He didn't take my advice. He didn't listen to me when I was telling him about sin and Jesus. And he very easily could have been like, I don't want to deal with that today. Tuesdays are long. Let me just get through this gathering and move on. But he didn't. He looked at me and he said, Pat, it's so good to see you. And he gave me a hug. Now that hug is exactly what I needed. I didn't think to myself, like, oh, Jason's so awesome. I thought to myself, I, I, I thanked God. I needed that. I needed the light in my life to know that I'm not judged here, that God has forgiven me, that I have a community of people who cared about me. I needed that in that moment. And I think we all can look back on those times when someone was the light to us, and all we did was go, thank God you put that person in my life. This is how we are supposed to live. And we're going to see here a couple practical ways to do that in Philippians chapter 2. 
We're going to go in, in verses 12 through 15. But before we get there, Paul first gives us the example of Christ. Now, in verses 5 through 11, these are one of those passages of the scripture that you just read and you just worship God for it. You look at it and you say, wow, Jesus is so amazing. He's so wonderful. And you just leave reading it in awe and you never get tired of it. It's one of those verses. And I'm not going to read it, but, but Paul goes through and lays out the life of Christ. Talking about how Jesus took on the form of a servant. That the God of the universe who actually was deserving of us to serve him for all eternity, he came down and took the form of a servant, took on human flesh, both fully man and fully God. He, he set aside some of the privileges of his deity, not that he ceased to be God, not that he stopped being God while he was on earth, but the privileges of that, he set them aside to humble himself and to do the mission he was called to do. He slept beneath the stars that he had made. Think about that. The stars that he spoke into existence, he came down and slept under them. And then he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see that he humbled himself to the will of God to do what needed to be done so that the sinners of the world could be saved. And that's where we get to Philippians 2 here in verses 12 through 15. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul says, therefore, right? And so if you ever see it, therefore, we've heard, we've heard it, right? If you see it, therefore, you ask, what is it, therefore? And so Paul is saying, because of what Christ did for us, the life that he laid out in verses 5 through 11, because Christ gave us that example and lived that life for us, we now go and we are now lights to those around us. We now do these good works because it is God working within us. We see in those verses that it is God working to will and to work. So he's, he's giving us those desires, He's leading us to where he wants us to go. He's putting us in places with the abilities and the capabilities to do those good works so that we may be a light in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation that desperately needs the Lord. And if you remember last week, I'm going to read this quote. I thought it was so cool. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Look at the decay that is setting in amongst all classes of pole. Look at the horrible divorces and separations this joking about the sanctities of life, this increase in drink and pilfering. What I thought was so cool about that quote is it came back in 1950. I thought it was so unique. You could take that and apply it to our generation now. You could take that and apply it to the generation that Paul wrote to. We are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We see it all around us, the sin that is rampant, porn, alcoholism, divorces, Abortion, all these things, we see it around us, and it desperately needs the light of the Lord. And first, a couple ways that we, we can practically do this is first is the body of Christ. As believers, those of us that have followed Jesus, we can do this by being on the same team. How often do we get in silly disputes and arguments arguing over programs and chairs and carpets and rooms and all this stuff. 
What do we look like to those that aren't a part of the church? Our conduct with each other is what they'll notice first. And so if we're arguing with each other, if we're disputing with each other, gossiping about each other, what are we doing? We're hindering our chances to share the gospel. What would be enticing to an unbeliever? Why would I want to come to that church? All they do is fight. There's cliques. You know, the people that like each other, they get along, but if you're not part of their group, good luck. What does that look like to unbelievers? That's why Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, you can have a healthy discussion about things that should and shouldn't happen. You can do that. But it should never venture into the area of, of just pure disputing with someone and showing hatred to them and causing divisions within the church. This is our first example that we can show to the world. And then secondly, how we act with unbelievers. We are to show humility to them and serve those around us as Christ did. Because the way in which we serve them, the way in which we show humility to them, will open up the door for us to share the gospel. Our conduct will allow us to have good relationships with people so we can share them what our hope is. Because we don't just live it out. We don't just live out being the light. We tell them what our hope is. And so we count others as more than ourselves. Say, it's not about us. It's not about what you think of me or how inconvenient it may be for me to go and serve people. If you, if you don't got the time, free it up. If you don't got the means, figure out some way. Show that humility and serve those around us. Because both of these things, whether it's in the body of believers or in the world, both of them have to do with the example of Christ's humility. If our king, our God, can show humility and serve those around him, wash the feet of his disciples and die for us, we can go out into the world and be a servant for him. We can go out into the world and be the light for him. Now, this doesn't mean having our light shine back to us, right? It doesn't mean, oh, let me do this good deed, let me serve in this area of ministry so people think I'm a good Christian. Because guess what? That's your reward. Your reward is that person complimenting you. That's it. And that's not the point. Our whole point is I don't care what you think of me, love me, hate me, whatever it is, I'm going to do these good works for the Lord so that way I can glorify him. A quote I read says, Thus Christians who live in humble harmony as they should, considering others more important than themselves, shine resurrection light in a dark world. Are you shining that resurrection light? Are you doing the things that, that Jesus brought up when he gave the example of the light of the world? Are you being visible? Is it clear in your life that you're a follower of Jesus? Don't be ashamed of it. This is the greatest thing in the world. This is what gives us eternal salvation. We need to live it out. We need to be excited about it, proud about it. Let others know that we are followers of Jesus. Are you revealing something? Are you revealing Christ in how you live? Are you doing more than just shining, but shining a light on Christ? Show him how he died for us and pulled us out of darkness. And then lastly, are you glorifying God? 
Is your conduct, the light that you shine, the things that you do, the good works that you, you perform, are they for yourself, for your own glory, or are they to glorify God? Now, I want to tell you this. If you follow Jesus, you were once dead and are now alive. How are you living differently? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing day. I thank you for allowing us to gather together and to open your word. I thank you for coming into our lives, for for drawing us to yourself and pulling us out of spiritual darkness, giving us a light to shine and to reveal you and to bring glory to you. And for those in here who are, are listening, maybe they don't know if they have the light of the world. Maybe they don't know if they follow you. I pray that you would reveal it to them. Make it known to them. Help them to surrender their entire lives to you as Lord and Savior. And then empower them to go and to be the light of the world. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in the very precious name of Jesus. Amen.